All right, rolling. We're rolling. Rolling. All right. Artist we know this is Aiden. This is Kyle. Today we're joined by Taylor Campbell. Thank Hello. you for coming, Taylor. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Um, we're all in a room together, just so everyone knows, <laughs> in the middle of a quarantine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're all one foot away from each other, coughing and breathing <laughs> and <laughs> hugging. Yeah, other people in the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a live event. Yeah, a live yeah. event. Yeah. Riverside. Uh, live meet and greet. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but uh, how have you been doing during this whole quarantine thing? Uh, I'm, I think I'm luckier than a lot of people like because my work, which is a mental health clinic, we're deemed an essential business. So I can still I can still come up, come to work and everything. And uh, so I'm I mean, everyone I know, they like don't have a job. It's like because I know mostly service industry people. So, yeah. And I, yeah, I don't. And socially, I don't <laughs> I don't see any difference between like yeah. 14 and close for me. <laughs> I go home. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's in some ways, I guess, um, I feel like I know a lot of service work people too. And it's, I think it's really taken a toll on those people. I mean, Uh, (laughs) oh yeah. Yeah. We don't talk about that. (laughs) 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 no but uh i think it is um it is interesting to see kind of what's all going on i mean i think for a lot of people it's really tough right now yeah it's like like i'm not worried about like the sickness per se you know like not even just for myself but just in general it's like the idea of it is crazy to me mm-hmm. like i know like we're like you know like like there was pre 9-11 and then like post 9-11 yeah i was totally I, just talking about this with my friend it's gonna be like two like a clear line between yeah there's gonna be like pre-covid 19 yeah. post-covid 19 <laughs> sure you know? just it's weird to like it is what's that yeah yeah it, i mean this is like a event that most people have never seen in their whole life no matter what age Probably yeah. no one's ever seen anything like this. Um, yeah, probably no one alive from the Spanish flu thing. And that right. was it's olden days and they don't have anything cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did people do then? They probably just literally sat at home. Yeah, that's it. That's probably all they did ever. And then like I don't know, whatever people yeah, I don't I don't know. Start wars or something. Although I guess in that time they also probably had like physical chores they had to do, like you know they had to chop wood and some of that kind of stuff. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, now we have we have no need for physical chores. It's all virtual reality. <laughs> I yeah, can I just imagine wood being chopped, and then Jeff Bezos chops it for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to imagine any of this without internet um i mean i've been doing a lot of stuff at home but like to not have any kind of reach because then all the information you would hear would just be everything the news was telling you yeah yeah and, and like without internet then like the news that's on the radio which is nuts right <laughs> yeah then it's like watered down fine but then it's like 
turn on like AM talk radio and it's just a <laughs> nightmare. People <laughs> screaming. They're hoarding the grace of God. There's no more grace of God in the stores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I oh man. <laughs> AM talk radio, I well, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, so um you know, we we're bringing you on. You you have you know tons of music that you make. Yes, um, a lot of it. For so, yeah, yeah. When did you start making music? Um, I think like seriously making music probably when I was like at, just after high school, like eighteen, because. Me and Kyle, we, like, we went to high school together, and I was, like, interested in music, but I, I wasn't, like, I didn't really do anything. Like, you were playing in bands and stuff, but I was just, like, it, it wasn't really a big interest. And yeah, then, and actually, no. I just want to touch on one thing. We've known each other since, like, what, second grade, maybe? Yeah, second grade. We've known each other probably 20 years. Yeah, so That's it's been, it is crazy. It's crazy to think about now. I was thinking the other day, my first memory of you. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sure it was a few years after already knowing you, but it's like my first distinct memory was the crazy hair day at school. And you <laughs> dyed your hair like, like an American flag. Was that <laughs> what it was? I, I did do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? Where are the pictures of that? <laughs> They're somewhere. they got to be. Yeah, there's somewhere, I think. That was probably, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade? Yeah, I want to think it, I want to say it was maybe fifth grade. I think fifth. But that we might have been know each other, but that's my first, like, distinct memory. That might have been post 9 11. It probably, <laughs> it probably was. That was like some weird, like, patriotic thing. Like, show solidarity to the victims of this tragedy. I'm going to die my eight-year-old son's head <laughs> <laughs> i think it was my idea to be honest it wasn't my parents idea or anything i That's just i was just like oh this would be really cool it, um, it was i remember i remembered it for 20 years <laughs> <laughs> oh geez okay well yeah i remember in high school you being into music and all of that um which i need to bring this up i just found your book <laughs> Oh, wow. Is that the scales and uh, modes one? Yep. Nice. Yeah. Probably 15 or more years later. Yeah. Uh, I never used it at that time. I didn't <laughs> like, I didn't have any work ethic for like music. And then, so I like, I didn't learn scales. I didn't do anything. I just kind of like futzed around and then, yeah. But now I would have, I'd be going <laughs> through that book every day. Well, next time I see you, I'll make sure I bring it. Perfect. That sounds great. Um, so you said you were about, you know, after high school, you started taking music serious. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait. What was your, like, do you remember your first, um, like your earliest musical experience? Yeah. Well, so the, I think the reason I started playing guitar when I was probably 15 was listening to Jimi Hendrix play Johnny Be Good live. And it's one of the times you like, he plays with his teeth. And then, like, I was started getting into all that stuff and was like, this is nuts. I want to do this. And then, like, mm -hmm. picked it up. And I 
didn't like I said didn't really have the work ethic so I like just kind of screwed around but that was my first like dive into wanting to do it and then uh, um shortly after high school I started getting into like a lot of electronic music and wanting to make that so then I like got a torrent of you know like fruity loops and then upgraded mm. to a torrent of like Ableton and just sat there for years was just like diving in and trying to learn all this stuff and um it was really weird because the first quote-unquote band I was in was me and these like two old men who I met who I met on Craigslist <laughs> I was gonna buy some recording equipment from this guy and then he because I was trying to get into just all that side of it too and um we ended up talking and then he was like, Oh, come just come over to my house and I'll, you can get it and I'll show you some stuff. And then like his older friend was there and then they would always have like these jam sessions. And that was like, yeah, me and these two old hippies like playing Radiohead covers and Joe Jackson covers in his basement. And that was like my first, like I can, I'm going to play with other people. It was really I like I cherish that experience because they taught me a lot like with recording and like microphone setups and everything like that which is like a whole crazy world to fall into if you don't have anyone like helping there's mm -hmm. so many there um and so then, you did record with them or was it just kind of like jamming it, mostly jamming but we did we did record and I still have <clears throat> the a recording of the first song I ever wrote Oh, wow. uh, that we recorded and I was 19 and I think I record I wrote the song when I was 17 about a girl in my math class that Kyle would know but I'm not going to say their name that's all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and I recorded this song and um every now and then I'll listen to it it's like it's like that's a pretty good song especially for like a 17 year old like it's not bad and uh yeah, that was that was kind of like my dive into things. And then after that, I just sort of. There was a period of my life where I didn't do anything besides sit in my basement and like fiddle around with Ableton and synthesizers. And then I kind of learned that and uh, uh, all the different, you know, production techniques and everything that goes with it. And then like I started playing in bands. But even then, I would say, like, I didn't really have the work ethic or, like, the, I don't know what the word is, that, like, spiritual drive to be a musician, that kind of, like, deep thing of, like, I want to do this. And it's I like want, a need, almost, yeah. like, something like saying, like, I need to do this, I yeah. This, and I need to be better at it. Mm -hmm. And I, like, didn't have that even when I was playing in bands for, like, a few years. And then um, I think when when my partner was pregnant with with our son and obviously like your life changes and I was just at the house a lot is when I really started to like study guitar and like study like jazz theory and scales and everything and chord substitutions and all that crazy stuff and like really understand the instrument and then since then like I mean I'm not like a virtuoso but like I can play guitar pretty well you know and play in all different styles and have a good understanding of the theory of it um and that was like what i i'm glad i did that because it i always had this like i don't know 
not punk approach, but just like, no, I don't need to know theory. Theory's for nerds. Like, I just want to play. And then it's like, no, actually, like, it helps a lot. It makes you makes you able to, like, convey the emotion or whatever you want. A right. right. It's so much easier, like, if, I, if you understand the theory instead of having to, like, I don't know a chord. I, I know the sound, but I don't know what it is. But I, like, I can tell you, like, oh, that's you want a half diminished because that's the sound you're going for or whatever. Mm. Things like wow. that. Yeah. So you took a, you know, you had took a deep dive into theory and all of that. Um, yes. After that, did, would you say that playing with bands became easier? Ye- yeah. I think bringing my parts to the band became easier i think because i got so involved with it and a lot of the musicians that i've played with and know aren't really interested in those things it was kind of hard because i i like really complex music like harmonically and everything and most of the people i know and i don't mean this to sound like like a diss against them you know they like more simple things and it's certainly not at this because nobody likes my music and everyone likes <laughs> the music. So, but like, I, like, I don't want to just like, you know, chug out a riff. I want to have something that is like really thought through. And I think it can be difficult for people to play sometimes, especially if they don't have like the. No, I guess you don't really need the theory because I'll try to explain it in a way that's like you don't need to have a Berkeley College of Music degree to understand it. But so there's like sort of I feel kind of isolated musically from a lot of people of like finding the right people to play with. That's yeah. Like, Is that a common problem? I don't know. Uh, I I feel like for guitar players and singers, it's probably more a common issue because they're normally like the brain of the band in some right. ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I like the. The Milwaukee music scene, I think, is really clicky and also really, like, intertwined with just social things. Mm-hmm. And, like, over the past few years, for a lot of different reasons, I just, like, have isolated from people. So then you get forgotten as a musician because you're forgotten as a person. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh-huh. really bad. But, but like, it, so it's, you know, there's just... I don't have a lot of people around to like play those things. And then even if I did have a lot of people, there's only a small subset of people that like would be interested in it, you know? Yeah. Um, Common for well, me. Common problem. <laughs> um, well, listening to your solo stuff, I definitely got the vibe that it's all very well thought out. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and, I, and you know, I think it all sounds great. Thank um, you. Yeah. If we start with the album Be Invoked. Yes. That, uh, was, that was 2017. Yep. That sounds right. That was a, just like the guitar and singing album. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, you had on there that it was recorded by Graham Hunt at Silver City. Yep. Have you still talked to Graham? I haven't seen him in years. Um, Passingly, I think he moved. but Yeah, uh, I think he lives like in I, Chicago. Yeah, I, I've known Graham for for uh for a few years and he recorded my other band's album uh sufferhead 
And then when I wanted, that was before I had my studio set up and everything. Um, I wanted to record the song, so I went there. And yeah, that stuff is like in a different world than the other stuff that's more recent because it is just guitar and singing. Um, yeah. And so, but yeah. looking at that, um, just to get into a little bit of the the background. So you're uh, you were a creative writing major in college, correct? Yep. Yep. At okay. E- First at Marquette, I was English literature, and then I transferred to UWM and did creative writing, mostly like short fiction and poetry. And then uh, I stopped. I dropped out. <laughs> and uh, now, like, I, I don't do a lot of writing anymore. I guess it's more either lyrics or bizarre ramblings that we could get into later. <laughs> um no and we will get into that as well um <laughs> but uh for the be invoked album yeah because uh, on your band camp mm-hmm. uh you have all the lyrics i do yep i make sure to include them because i think the lyrics are just as important as the music at least yeah. for me you know there's a lot of people that i don't think it matters as much but for me it, it is like half and half you know sometimes i think the lyrics are more than the music sometimes i think the music's more than the lyrics but they always share equal you know at least some sort of equal import importance yeah well so it was interesting to me so i first listened to everything without even knowing the lyrics were there yeah and And then at least be invoked you could still probably be like okay these are sad because they're sad sounding songs then some of the other stuff it's all like funky but then you read the lyrics and it's like oh boy (laughs) (laughs) oh boy what are we doing (laughs) well (laughs) well i wanted to say like um once i read because i listened to it while reading them yeah and it took on a whole new meaning yeah and i think i i found that to be the case too when people like if they're just listening listening passingly you know i hope they enjoy it because then it's like it's just like an immediately good song but then you know when people are actually actively listening my goal is to affect them like profoundly and i try to with the lyrics you know there's they're definitely unflinching and like critiques of myself and my choices and things that have been done to me and things I've done and I don't really see the point of not writing about something that is important you know because I feel lucky enough to have the tools and the the environment to make music in I don't want to just make a song about I don't know drinking or something at the bar having fun because like that's not what I, I, I don't want to say that. I want to say something that might mean something to someone that like they weren't able to understand or express themselves, I guess. Yeah, I think that's, that's huge in writing. Sorry, like writing from like your own experiences in real life versus like anybody could just go to a bar and drink and have fun and write about it. And like, that's cool. But when you're talking about stuff that really happened to you, I think it makes it more genuine. I think, you know, the, the, um, room for like a real connection uh like a deeper connection gets bigger yeah totally and i think like most of those songs are about myself or my life 
sometimes I blend different people's stories into the lyrics and things, but I always, I, I don't want the end result to just be about me. Like what I would, what would make me the happiest as an artist or musician would to have someone else listen and be like, that perfectly described what I was feeling and what I went through. And I didn't have the words to do that or to say that. And that's kind of my, my mindset. And it, it definitely doesn't make for like you know, easily accessible music. Cause I remember playing when I was doing a lot of the material live from be invoked and I played some fest outdoor fest in Walker's point and like, there was a bunch of technical problems, like the sound kept going out, which was added to the nuisance of it. But like immediately when I started singing, I was like, I should not be singing these songs here. Like these are all people just walking around buying things. And like, it's a nice sunny day. No one's actually listening. And it's just going to be like a disruption because I'm up there screaming about, you know, hanging myself or something. <laughs> this is not the the environment for this well yeah i mean when i was listening to all this stuff i mean it it's it took me to all different places man (laughs) yeah no it does and i I mean i like i talk about it like jokingly because i you have to but i mean they're real and they're things i felt and like all the conflict and trauma and you know horrible things i to like just put it somewhere both for myself and from like you know the artist standpoint too like that's what i want to talk about and also the personal standpoint you know of like i need to talk about this i need to have this documented so it's a thing and it's not just me and my brain in a room being Mm -hmm. being hurt well and that's one of the things i wanted to ask you do you feel that your music is like a time capsule of your life kind of yeah i think so i think that's a really good way to put it I think even like all the different albums, they're definitely snapshots of something that I was experiencing at that time. And like on Be Invoked, a lot of those songs are conflicts with other people. And also like like that ending song is a my fears as a parent, you know, and like as a parent who is, and I'm not really ashamed to say it, like, I have a lot of mental problems and illnesses and like the idea of I did, I just like sentence my son to a life of this too. And that, and like just that, like really exposing fearful core, you know, and that was a lot of that. Like, I don't know. And I don't, I don't hear a lot of songs about those kind of things. And it's like, I want to write about this and I have a good melody for it. Maybe it'll resonate with someone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think um, one thing that's really unique about your, I mean, not only your music, but I mean, as a whole, um, your, your lyrics are almost like a, a poem of your experience Right. And I, th- I think it's easy for a lot of people to just um, kind of like you said earlier with the example of, oh, I'm drinking, I'm having fun. I think right. it's just as easy for someone to say like, oh, something bad happened. Um, but yeah. you but you also you write it in such a way that um, I mean, it really 
hits kind of differently. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I, I appreciate that, and I think for my writing voice, you know, I've drawn from a lot of different places of like weird internet humor things and like just like the way they use language and also you know like your pick any like high art literature kind of thing and just drawing from all these different things and my own you know idiosyncrasies to just say something that is from me and not just like some rehashed what i never want to do with writing a lyric is use like a, a cliche you know of like there's always certain things that go together and I don't want to do that. I don't want to say, I don't know, whatever cliche there always is, you can find them in just about every song. It's always like a this phrasing that goes together. And I don't want that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think um, you do a good job at not following the norms in terms of those types of cliches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, there's a fascination with hell in like all of my art and there's like hell as a thing to have and like I know on that last song on, on that album Be Invoked there's that line like two hearts made entirely of hell and it's like hell isn't yep. a place but it is a thing that is there and can be used and accessed and stored. I know I know you also have on there, like, when it's finally the son's time to deal with this, too. And you had mentioned, you know, it's a yeah. song about your son. Or being yeah. a parent, I should say. It is. Yeah. And just being the one thing that terrifies me in life. Well, there's a lot of things. But the thing that does it the most is, like, is he going to have the same experience I've had? Which, like frankly has not been that good of an experience <laughs> and like that's devastating to me and just like the the cycle of it all because that that last song is called hemlock vera which is my great-grandmother her name was vera and towards the end of her life she was and probably rightfully so like she was wanting to just die because of all the health problems and I think she even told my dad, like on her deathbed, like if there's one thing I want you to do, it's to push forward with like assisted suicide, medically assisted suicide, because she was, she was like trying, they had to go take her car because she was gonna like just leave the car running in the garage, but she lived in a condominium complex. So like probably other people would have died. <laughs> just like this, this cycle of like my, great grandmother experienced these things and I experienced these and just this is this what is in store you know and mm -hmm. it's a difficult thing to think about but I'll think about it nonetheless <laughs> yeah well real. and so yeah there were what six songs on that album mm -hmm. um, do you think well, listening back to it I mean do you think that you got what you wanted out of the album specifically i mean was it an emotional release was it i mean i know you said you want to capture this um so that people know it exists and for other people as well yeah i think so i think i got the emotional feeling i wanted i think musically 
I would like to revisit it and like kind of gussy up some of those songs because some of them are just like they could be really good pop songs or like an actual band or like more production. Um, and but that's just the you know that artists need to keep scratching at something of like it could have been better, you know. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with it. It's, I've definitely moved on in terms of styles from that of like the more recent stuff is all yeah weird r and b like well and i I was gonna say even so let's go to you know february twenty eighteen you have a um a solo track called place of pain yeah yeah which which is actually i you know i think that might be my favorite song oh cool yeah i'm like i just think it's like really well put together the lyrics tell a crazy story um yeah, those are rough ones and but I think the the music also with it, like it really lends itself. I mean, I think you could go to an open mic and play that. I think you could right. go to. It's um, a really pretty song. Like there's like that chorus. It's like the A major to the A major seven. Like it's just got these nice like poppy things. And I think a lot of my music has this jazzy, poppy, pretty aspect. But everything underneath or on top of it is just a fucking horror show. And that's always how I've sort of like done everything yeah does it feel does it ever feel weird to kind of package the horror show in such a nice beautiful um presentation sort of and i sometimes like i or at least i question like is this what i should be doing because there's a lot of those songs where like maybe if someone else was singing or if someone else was writing lyrics, this would actually be like a popular song because like you can't have a popular song when it's like about those things. Like that's just not feasible, you know? And I question that. And like a lot of like my last band, like I wasn't singing and I didn't really want to have a lyrical attachment to it. I just wanted to make the music and see what happens, you know? Because mm -hmm. I just, I unable to not write about something that is upsetting <laughs> like i just cannot do it <laughs> oh <like>, man <laughs> um and then so you know i i really love that song then we get into lovers again which yeah to me is almost like a chronological um i don't want to compare it to like uh dark side of the moon type of a thing but it's like because it doesn't like blend together but right. i'm saying like there's a story um, yeah the story is like you could have it be almost one song right as yeah. like a story yeah it, so yeah it's definitely i mean it's drawing on a lot of because i'm a huge fan of r&b and funk and everything and from that drawing from those ideas and it is definitely like a love story it's not a happy one by any means, but it's a love story, you know, nonetheless. And yeah, that album, that was a bitch to make. That was all by myself. It took me like a year to like do that. I mean, all the, like all the drums on it and everything, those are, they're not loops or recordings. Like those are just like MIDI programmed and trying to like program funk beats. Cause funk is all off time. Yeah. Sweet. Trying would, to do that on a computer is a fucking nightmare. So I wanted to ask you about that because while I was listening to this, I tried to drum to some of it because <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, 
like Taylor's got to get this out there as a band. I would love, I would love to do that. And I've like talked to people sort of passingly about it. Um, Cause I think that would be awesome to do with a full band. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it would translate really well. Yeah. And there's total like a bunch of different parts. I mean, all that was, I mean, the guitar and a lot of the bass, like I'm playing and then the drums are all programmed drums. Cause I can't play drums. And then, there's like some saxophone and clarinet that I play not very well, but it's on there nonetheless. And like synthesizer stuff. And my dream would to have have like a ten piece band doing all that, just like a big horn brass section, just like screaming those like synth lines. That would be awesome. Yeah, um, the drums though, like you had mentioned, man, that offbeat stuff is is crazy. Yeah, and it's like it's really subtle. And I, I think I find the most joy in doing that. It's the hardest and the most annoying, but it's like like trying to program a drum beat that sounds like a real human. That's one thing. Like you can do that. And but then trying to do it like a human who's playing like off time and funky and swinging. Like because it's all it's all like intentional errors, the swing, you know? Like Yeah. So instead of having just like a 16th note hi-hat beat, I have to like manually adjust some of them. So some are a little too soon, some are a little too late, and then you get like a bigger picture. Because, um, yeah, the one song on that album, Peace of Mind, um, there's like drum, like snare rolls that I had to figure out how to program and like tom fills that are all different. And I, I mean, I was... I. I was pr- I'm proud of that album, definitely. And I feel yeah. like it was uh, the pinnacle of like my abilities, at, the, at least at that time. Um, um, it's, weird. it's weird to do that those songs live because I've always I've done two tours with it and like played shows, and I'm just playing the songs, the backing tracks off a laptop, like I'm just doing karaoke to my own music. Uh, <laughs> so so it's it's odd. Which would it would be nice to have someone else on stage with me to like set up just me in a, a bad suit like singing songs about how I can't be loved. Computer, <laughs> it's weird. Oh man, uh, and so this is the first time we're kind of hearing uh, the full band aspect with your music, at least for your solo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, um, and you recorded all this yourself. You said. Yep, yep, at my studio, yep. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about your studio a little bit, so let's see. Wait, wait, Uh, sorry, I I want to ask a couple questions about uh, Lovers again. Um, I just have two questions. Are you, like, when I listened to it the first time, maybe I'm, like, crazy, but um, I almost felt, like, a little bit of, like, Bobby Caldwell influence. Do you know what's really funny? I was working on a cover of What You Won't Do For Love. Okay. I knew I felt it somewhere. I love, I love like the shitty smooth R and B stuff. Mm-hmm. I love like it is so awesome and it's so pretty. And I mean, I'm saying shitty like tongue tongue in cheek, you know. Yeah. But uh, like Bobby Caldwell and like Steely Dan's like Asia album. Like I yeah. love stuff. I love that the album for sure. Um, 
yeah, all that, all stuff like that. And then also, I just wanted to ask too, real quick, um, who did the artwork for that album? I did. Yep, oh, I did. Wow. All, all the artwork on um, on those albums. Um, um, is this like digital or is it painting? Yeah, that, that one was all digital. I think it it started off as a uh, just like a picture of my face that I traced over, and then I'm when I'm doing like digital art, I like distortions and glitches and things like that. Um, so like I did a lot of content aware deleting in Photoshop to get the repetitions and then I just manually colored everything. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And all, all all those uh Be Invoked and Lovers Again are both anime references. <laughs> and uh even there's one song on that album that's an anime reference, Absolute Terror Field. Uh Be Invoked is like a old uh anime from the early eighties space runaway idion then there was a movie called be invoked where they they invoke basically like a god mech and it blows up the whole universe wow. <laughs> and then lovers again is like the sequel to macross and i've always thought like those are really awesome names and titles like <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds cool then absolute terror field is from uh, evangelion which is like the force fields that mm. the have or whatever oh yeah it's a I like little that. That's, I, I do know that one. I don't know. I've heard of the other ones, but uh, well, I've watched a lot of anime reviews. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite anime? Oh boy, uh, I think my favorite of all time. It was always Cowboy Bebop, but recently, mm. this anime called Monster replaced it. I think it is like just unbelievably well done. Um, but Cowboy Bebop. I'm a big Gundam fan, Macross, um, lots of stuff. There's a lot of like recent anime that's actually really good. There's been a resurgence in like really cool, high quality anime. Mob Psycho 100 was really awesome. A place farther than the universe. Like I watched a lot of anime. I got like <laughs> 500 gigabytes on a hard drive, torrented and saved. <laughs> um. And so we get, let's, we'll go into the last solo album here. It's uh, Sing to Me, Let Me Hear Your Agony. Yeah, that's a Marvin Gaye lyric. That's um, from, uh, he put out an album that is mind-blowing called um, Here, My Dear, which is mm. he through his divorce. And in order to make the alimony payments, they made an arrangement that all the royalties from the album would go to his wife or his ex-wife. And the entire album is about the divorce and it blows my mind. Like he's writing and the album is called here, my dear, like, here you go. It's so real. And uh, there was a line on the song Sparrow. Yeah. It's sing to me. Let me hear your agony. And I've always wanted to use that. And uh, that, that album was more of just like, I have these songs. I need to put them out and, because I haven't been able to finish anything in a while, and I put them together. And my son actually did that. The artwork is a a painting that he did. Yeah, and I was gonna ask. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like he didn't mean to draw a bird, but he did, and it looks exactly like a bird. And it's like nice colors, so I kind of I cropped it and added some text to it and threw it on there. That that album is. Uh, I mean, it's only three songs. And those second two songs are maybe some of the most emotionally challenging. Yeah, the uh, one last letter 
Yeah, and that's I read, a yeah, that's when a I, <laughs> I read through the lyrics while listening to it, and that is heavy. Yeah, that is um we uh when I went on tour last winter with my friend Bob Buckle, who's from Dubuque, he's like an amazing musician and just he's been doing it forever. He would after the first show, anytime when I would play that, he would leave because he just like couldn't hear it every night because it is it's a it's ju- just a suicide letter, but it's done so specifically and yeah uh, about I mean, I, same things. I know a lot of the people you reference in that. So oh, really? <laughs> I feel like I do at least. <laughs> yeah. You probably um, yeah. And a, it, yeah, it's a rough one and the emotional reactions I get playing that is uh, kind of like a shock of like why the hell did you just sing this song <laughs> well yeah i mean um you basically i mean you tell people where things are you yeah. know lists and things and then uh you reference like uh sean and i think he went to school with us his wedding yeah. his wedding yeah is sean wins your wedding date I'm sorry, I can't make it through. I can't last until I'm supposed to be a witness for you. <laughs> the only way to say those things is laughing, you know, because it's like, it's so, and that was, you know, that was written from an absolute hellhole of a place for myself. And I think I just needed, I need to say these things and, and have them be heard because every single line on that is like a there's really no creative writing going on there was like a letter in my drawer that had all these things of like this is how you pay the loans and this is this is how you get into this band's album that i was recording <laughs> like that's so they can so it can be finished because i'm going to die soon and it's it, i don't mind talking about because i have, you know it's documented publicly as a piece of art so it, it is what it is but it's yeah that's a bleak one <laughs> yeah Jesus. And I think it's also maybe like my best produced song too. There's a lot of cool things happening. My friend Landon, who does a lot of the free jazz music with me, he did some drums at the end of it. And um, there's a lot of like funky bass happening at the end and some weird synth stuff going on. Um, but yeah, it's that's a, that's a bonkers one. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of... Um... On this album, I got a lot more of that, like, smooth jazz, R&B, almost like 80s synth kind of feel on some of that. Yeah, totally. That first song, Currency of Love, uh, started, I was going to try to do a cover of uh, Glamour Profession by Steely Dan from their Gaucho album. So it's like the same drum beat from that song um, and some similar chords. And it's total, like, that's me channeling Steely Dan because that song is just like, a creepy man obsessed with a cam girl. <laughs> that's kind of what that is about. And that's totally Steely Dan's like whole shtick is just like a gross man who like wants to have sex with somebody he shouldn't have sex with. Like <laughs> it's like to listen to Steel know what Steely Dan is, just imagine a jazz chord and then like a pervert. That's <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's true. Uh, totally true. Um, on that last song, too, one last letter. Okay, this might not be a good comparison, but uh, it it kind of vaguely reminded me of that song, like "Who's Gonna Drive You Home." 
<laughs> Who's gonna find your body? Oh, yeah. But um, so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your studio. Yeah. Um, it's no called active. No longer active. Nope, it's gone. But yeah, it was called the Prayer Arena. That's what I was calling it. You just closed down recently. Yeah. So it was actually it was a weird setup. It was um at my work mental health clinic there was like a vacant back room in the building um and i just took over and put all my studio stuff in there and through the years i got enough equipment and microphones and whatnot and started recording my stuff and a few demos for bands and some bands albums for them and um we moved out of that location and once we moved um you know i had to pack up the studio as well i liked it being there because it was added to the mystique of everything. Like this was recorded in a mental health clinic. Weird. <laughs> and then it's pretty fitting for all the lyrical content. And like the building was an odd building too. Cause the only other businesses in the building were these weird churches, these like African Pentecostal churches. So I, we would hear them like screaming and speaking in tongues. And uh, one of them was called heaven's gate, which had it had no relation to the cult, but, they must have not done a Google search when they named their church. <laughs> so they, there's like a big sign. There was like Heaven's Gate. And then they had a sign that said like, welcome to the prayer arena. And I was like, damn, I'm going to call my studio that. And I stole one of their signs. And left. <laughs> <laughs> um, what bands have you all recorded over there? Um, my stuff. There was my friend's band from Kenosha, Sun Silo. I recorded their album. Um, and then those those folks are in another band called the Oscillators. I recorded their album. Um, my friend's band, Soup Moat, I recorded um, like a demo they wanted because they were going to go to like an actual studio and record, but they wanted some references. Uh, I recorded something for my other friend's band, Credentials. Um, I recorded some demos for the band Double Truck. Um, and then all my, my yeah, my solo stuff and then my jazz band stuff was recorded in that room as well um so i i got i got a lot of use out of it and i was really lucky to have that because i didn't have to pay rent and you know with everything with music i feel lucky to be able to do it so when a band would want to record i would sometimes just like not charge them or like i don't know 50 bucks just give me i don't care because it's like it is what it is and i'm lucky to have this and a lot of people don't so if you need a recording done, come on in here. I'll charge you nickels. Yeah. Um, and so you said you recorded the um, your jazz band there as well. Yeah. Yeah. All albums, yeah. Is that uh, that band's called? Is it called One More Final? I need you. Yep. That's another anime reference. That's the last episode of Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I listened to the most recent uh recent album there i think it's called acme free jazz yeah yeah that was uh, uh so that band it was me and uh playing guitar and then my friend landon playing drums and though we were like the core people and then we would have like a rotating cast of people so on acme free jazz my friend bob bucko he played tenor saxophone and then it's on a lot of the earlier stuff it was um uh our friend anthony playing alto saxophone um that yeah. i mean I, I love doing that stuff that is 
such a rewarding experience to play that kind of music. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's I mean, literally the best way to describe it is free jazz. I mean, yeah, it's all improv, you know, like we're just going. Sometimes we would we would have like a an emotion or an idea. And the first thing we recorded together Landon said, I had this dream where I was walking through the woods and then I discovered my own body. So let's play that. So like, we're not interested in like, here's the chord structure, here's the melody, here's the rhythm. It's just, this is an emotion and we're going to sync up hopefully somehow and play something. And it is, I love it. And it's, it's really taxing and exhausting to do it. Like, a 30-minute free jazz set feels like I just played rock music for four hours because you're actively listening. You have to be in, in the moment, every moment, you know? Yeah. And you can't just, like, play the song. You have to play the moment and the emotion, and that takes a lot of work. Yeah, and you it, it sounds a lot like you got... I mean, and it goes along with what you just said. I mean, you have to be available mentally at 100 percent the whole time because the second someone plays something you you have to pick up on it and go or yeah you have to change something in a way that um you know they're gonna do something and sometimes it it might never sync up and sometimes and sometimes the goal is to not sync up you know but it's all like like I think there's a lot of people who would do free jazz or like kind of blend it into like the noise genre and like that's fine you can go on stage and just like make a bunch of toots and squeals and stuff and like sometimes that is what we would want to do or like for a moment to just hey we're just gonna have a crazy stupid thing but then the goal of that was always to express an emotion and when you're playing like that like weird things happen like I'm not a spiritual person at all or some sort of like cosmic connection, but just things were, would be so bizarre. Like we were doing a set um, at quarters. We were playing as a five piece um, and we're just going like balls to the walls, just, just flying. And it's really fast and crazy. And then Landon, he hit the cymbal and did like a quick stop on it, like grabbed it, which is something he doesn't do often. And it wasn't at a climax part. It was just in the middle of playing and the minute he did that, at the exact moment, we all stopped and looked at him. Like, we all knew it was coming. And it was just like, this is how? how? We didn't communicate it at all. We, it wasn't a crescendo. It was just, he just did it and we knew it. Just weird stuff like that. And it, I, like, I love it. I, I would do it all the time if I could, you know. Yeah. Um and you guys have a, is it a cassette coming out on Already Dead Records? Yeah, yeah, we recorded, um, uh, that was another one with Bob, Landon, and myself. We, we recorded an album, it's called um, We Loved Each Other and It Was Awful, which is a, is a line from the West Wing, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I have a really, a literal obsession with the West Wing. Like for two years, that's all I watched constantly. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I can't, I would never be able to explain why or how or anything, but I've seen every episode probably uh, 50 times. <laughs> There's a line in there oh. with some 
explaining like their divorce and they said we loved each other and it was awful and i was like that's the name of the album right there that's it <laughs> um yeah i remember we actually watching that a lot in high school and like our politics class oh yeah yeah they would always like this is how politics works and then they would show us the west wing and we're just like wait what yeah. <laughs> i'm like you know, neoliberals fetish it works like that but like fetish dungeon that's it's just like if you went into like hillary clinton's secret sex dungeon it's just the west wing because <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't know why i like that right i'm not i'm certainly not like a subscriber of center left politics or anything and there's a lot of problems with that show there's a lot of misogyny and there's not many people of color on that show but for some reason <laughs> I just love it. I can't <laughs> help it. Oh, man. Um, so there was something, I think, uh, and I don't remember if this was uh, the free jazz band, but Standing Pools of Water We Crawl Towards and Drink, <laughs> and from. drink from. Yeah, that was uh, me and Landon. We released it under the name, uh, but it definitely wasn't free jazz, and it wasn't done in the same way. That was a lot of us me and him just making weird sounds like sound collages putting them together but trying to tell a story and it's a weird one i mean we were doing a lot of weird stuff like i was playing a, a clarinet and a saxophone at the same time like with the mouthpieces <laughs> and he's just scraping things and then like we did some overdubs i crawled inside a refrigerator and was banging on it like like i'm trying to get out and he had like the microphone um there's a lot of just like scary sounds happening. On that one. Yeah, the, the vibe I got was almost like a horror movie vibe. Yeah, exactly. And just that image, like a lot of the song titles or ideas would just be images. So that one was like an image I had randomly come to my head, just standing pools of water we crawl towards and drink from. And like one of the earlier albums was called Emaciated Horse, which was uh, just like a random image that popped in my head and the full title was an emaciated horse screaming and writhing in the mud and that is just like some image that came to me of just uh, yeah just imagine like a skinny horse is stuck in the mud screaming i was like let's record that song <laughs> well on uh this one here the beginning you said so was that it sounded like a goose but was it actually you on the clarinet and saxophone it is Yes, it. I think it's both of those combined and then pitched down and then okay. looped. So it's, or it might have been, I ran it through a delay and then was looping it. Like, because one of the delay, I have this old, like, 80s Ibanez delay rack unit that has like a hold function. So you can hold stuff. Um, and it was just that, then pitched down. It's just like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> it sounded like a, like a flock of geese. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, we had microphones set up all around the room and we were just moving furniture. Because then like towards the end of it, we had this idea of someone like in a, they're just in a place and they can't get out. So there's just like, just random sounds of a place of furniture moving and people walking. And it's just, it's scary. Yeah, because <laughs> so, there's like heavy breathing, like someone who's about to like, almost like pass out. And... Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah, that's an odd one. <laughs> um, let's see. On, on that Acme Free Jazz album, so yeah. earlier you mentioned Hendrix 
being your inspiration to start playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So on the song Rubberhead, yeah, that tone reminds me very much of a Hendrix tone. Yeah, totally. I definitely like gravitated towards that tone, and um, um, I, it's so weird too because I think Hendrix always gets lumped into like dad classic dad rock stuff. Like people are like, oh, Jimi Hendrix. It's like, you know, just like that. But he's fucking bonkers. Like if you listen to like machine, like Machine Gun live, like from the band of Gypsies, is the best recording of an electric guitar ever made, hands down. Like he's doing crazy shit, like feedback and weird pitch, like shifting with the whammy bar. Like it's nuts. And I don't, never understand why he gets lumped into this like lazy, shitty dad thing. And it's like, no, dude, Hendrix was a maniac. Yeah, the first time I heard Hendrix, it was like, it, it felt like that was the first time I heard the, almost like the guitar had a voice. Like yeah. Made the guitar, like, talk. Yeah, almost. it speaks. Like, yeah. yeah. It's um, its own thing. It's its own yeah. yeah. And not to mention, sure. I mean, his writing is incredible. Yeah. I mean, the whole, yeah, he's kind of on his own level. He's just, yeah, he's like one of those people that, like, they were here and then they weren't, and there will never be another one, you know, yeah. just like some godlike figure, like Coltrane or something. You know, it's just like, man, this is they were here, now they're gone, and we'll never, we'll never get that again. But hey, we're lucky to at least had it for a while, yeah, yeah, it's like a shooting star, yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to get a little bit into your drawings. Yes. Yeah. My, uh, my cartoons. Yeah. So, um, they have, they have an anime vibe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But a lot, a lot of them are either of like NBA players or your friends or just, you know, things like that. Yeah. I, um, I have some right here. I know people listening won't be able to see it, but so there was this, I don't know. It's hard to see. It's hard to focus. It was a drawing of when Randy Johnson, the baseball player, threw a ball through a bird. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and it happened like 19 years ago, a few days ago. Like he, um, he threw a ball through a fucking bird. Uh, I know. It's just yeah, weird pictures like that. And the bird exploded. Started... Yeah. Wait, what? Exploded. He actually yeah, threw a, a ball. Face. It. Yeah. And you, you can. Yeah. I gotta see a picture. Yeah, he was a pitcher, and he could throw like he clocked like 100 miles an hour and as he was pitching a bird flew and it like in between the plate and the pitcher's mound and the ball hit the bird and it exploded and it's just one of those amazing miracles (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking at this picture it's like the bird literally just was turning to feathers yeah so i drew that and yeah i don't know i i've never been I doodled, but I've never considered myself like a visual artist. And then a few months ago, I just was like, I want to draw NBA players because I love basketball. Yeah. Obsessively watch basketball. And so I started drawing them. And then like, as I was doing that, I kind of found my own style of like, not being concerned at all with realistic proportions. So I have like a massive head and tiny arms and like, they're just doing weird stuff and the ball is huge. And they're like, they're like, lifting the ball with their feet and the ball's like three times the size of them 
and um i just started and i haven't i haven't been able to stop i was printing i was putting them on t-shirts and selling them and then i got in trouble because it's clear like copyright violation but whatever what's copyright you using someone else's image yeah like uh, i would have like a drawing of damian lillard and then it was yeah. like a text that said like oh oh, oh here's blazer dame and then it's yeah. just, Big head. Wait, and, did someone actually approach you? And no, I just had them removed from the website um, uh, that I was selling them through. But I was able to get one of the uh, Giannis. I drew Giannis with just like a massive head, um, like flying with a basketball, and I was able to get that printed on a shirt. So every time I go to a Bucks game, I wear it, and then the people like look at it and like, "What the hell is he? What is that?" <laughs> yeah, because I was gonna ask if like. You know, I feel like um, if some of those players saw them, they might actually be like, hey, can I get one? Like, Yeah, that's what I would. I would love that. I'm a big fan of this. Like, there's a basketball podcast called uh, No Dunks. They used to be called, like, The Starters. And then I, w- I sent them a bunch of stuff, and they, like, they were laughing about it. And I drew a picture of them, and they posted it. And, like, I don't know. I don't know how I fell into this drawing thing, because it, it was never something I took seriously at all. But... For like the past handful of months, like I've drawn probably on average four hours a day. And like, that's just all I do. And I got a lot better at it. So now I've been drawing portraits of friends, I guess some way to connect to people during like the quarantine and send it to them and make them laugh. And they're getting, they're getting weirder and weirder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You had one of your, one of your friends, like with Gordon Ramsay holding a gun to them or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's Gordon Ramsay's like, he's pointing a gun at my friend who's trying to chop garlic and Gordon Ramsay's yelling like, as long as I have a hole in my butt, big boy, those garlics haven't been bloody minced. (laughs) This is a line he said on one of the shows. He was pissed off that someone kept putting, they kept frying the potatoes and then they said they weren't frying them. And Gordon was like, as long as I have a hole in my butt, big boy, those potatoes are in a deep fat fryer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's hilarious. Yeah, and like, just like there's a definitely a weird anime like aspect to it, like uh, weird kind of like those alternative comics sort of things. I'm drawing a lot of. I drew one of my friend yesterday, and it's like just he's got this massive penis that's like flying over the screen and landing on his head, and then he's like licking, trying to lick like person looking at the picture. It's awful. It's horrible. Because <laughs> I've, I mean, I've, I've done like 50 portraits in the past week or so. It's, it's, it's wild. So those are all just like ink, like an ink pen and pencil on paper? Yep. Yeah, I'll do, um, I'll first do the foundation with pencil and then I'll ink it and then I'll either scan it or take a photo of it. And then sometimes I'll smooth it up in Photoshop and Illustrator or whatever. But for the most part, it's all um, just hand drawn. So some of it, you know, with that ink pen vibe, I almost got that like Wesley Willis like yeah vibe. Totally, because it, it they're weird because like the perspective is all wrong. Like, and that was always my trouble as a, as like drawing. I could never get the hang of it because with my brain, like I, I experience the world in a weird way, like on an informational level. Like visually, I have visual hallucinations and like just perception things and my spatial reasoning is so bad so i could never like draw i could only draw so many things because once you turn an object 
I like just couldn't process it. But now that I've been doing it so often and so much, and I just said, F it. Like, I don't care. I'm going to draw it how I see it. And it's just, it's like, it's totally weird looking. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why is their hand so little right here? I don't know. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Isn't that called, um, is that called Alice in Wonderland syndrome? Or is that just before bed? Because sometimes, like... Well, so, I, I know the... At, the hypnagogic state is the state when you're going to sleep, mm -hmm. you know, and like you're falling from awake to sleepiness. And um, there's that Alice in Wonderland feeling where like the bed feels big, you know? Mm -hmm. and like if I, if I would picture someone like walking in the door, they'd be like 20 feet tall or like yeah. really small. And I don't know if I just have like a brain tumor or something, but like. No, that's actually, that's really common, especially okay. when you sleep. But for me, it's like that all the time. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's, it's like that weird hypnagogic state, except it's noon and I'm at work. And oh, it's, Jesus. You know, it, it got really bad for a while, and, and I had to go and, like, get it taken care of. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it definitely opens up sort of, like, just weird possibilities for, like, art and stuff. And definitely. Seeing things in a weird way. Um. I, I find the act of drawing to be meditative and I love it. And that's why I do it so much. Cause it's just, I don't know. It's I, it's pleasing to me. Yeah. I just like lose track of time. and Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also wanted to touch on your website. Patheticandsad.com. Yep. Patheticandsad.com. Everyone go check it out. Um, oh boy. Yeah. So, I guess so you, went, you went on the website. I'm assuming I, I've gone through the website. I'm pretty sure Aiden's checking. Yeah, it out. I went on the website. I don't want to explain anything until I, what was your reaction or like what do you think you're looking at at some <laughs> of the things? Um, for me, it was like Yelp reviews. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So okay, I'll explain those. Those are um, a few years ago, I started doing this thing where I'll post to a Facebook's, like a business's Facebook page, like a complaint. But there's a running narrative to the complaints where my character, he has two big sons that are six foot one inch and six foot no inches. And, they're, <laughs> and they torment physically. And he has... He has a 65-year-old wife who's really mean. Um, so he he um, has all these bad things happen to him when he's shopping or doing stuff, and he needs he needs to tell someone. So he tells the public relations department at Target, and uh, people find him really funny. I mean, I find him funny. They're they're really weird. And that's yeah. talking before about drawing like my writing voice from a lot of different sources. Like that's one of them of just how I'm wording. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read one. So this one this one was from he was at Target and then a terrible thing happened. So 
took my two big and strong sons to your store to shop for odds and ends, and it did not go well. My six foot one inch and six foot no inch sons made me ride in the cart like a small baby would. They scream at me if I try to leave the red cart. They smack my head and ass with the newspaper. They rolled me to the Halloween aisle, and there is a giant eight foot tall inflatable ghoul next to the pumpkins. My sons lifted my frail body out of the cart and stuffed me into the inflatable ghoul and sealed it shut. I've been stuck in here for nearly 20 hours. I'm writing this from inside the ghoul. It is hot and smells bad. I have tried calling for help, but everyone believes it is part of the gag, that the big ghoul can talk and scream and wiggle around. But it is not part of the gag. It is me. I am begging your workers for help, begging my sons to come back and let me go. I have tried calling my wife, but she is mean and 65 years old, doesn't know how to answer the phone. Please tell your workers that the ghoul in the pumpkin aisle does not scream on its own. It is a man trapped inside. Who cannot get freed from the ghost prison? Halloween is always bad for me. <laughs> I mean, so, have, did you like take creative writing classes or like how? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I don't know where those come from. I mean, yeah. there's definitely an inspiration from the twi- the god of the internet, Drill, who's like a Twitter guy who's been. Yeah. He's he, like funniest thing I have ever seen in my entire life and he has been consistently funny for over a decade. He, he's my he's a, there's that aspect and then just I like the idea of of uh, I don't know men being humiliated. I find it <laughs> I so present with it. Like this is one this is maybe my favorite one and I think out of anything I've written lyrically uh, short fiction poetry. This is some of the best creative writing I've ever done. And yeah. this was the Bonefish Grill. And it was, uh, I was accosted outside the establishment by an angry man. He threatened to slap my balls until they were back. <laughs> my two pukes who did not come to my defense, even they, they, even though they are six foot no inches and six foot one inches, egged him on as he threatened to do harm to my balls. I paid for their meals too. They ordered the bonefish and it was good. I ordered the bonefish as well and it was bad. Yeah, you like your bonefish grill. Let me get, let me get the bonefish. <laughs> but they, they ordered the bonefish and it was good. I ordered the bonefish and it was bad. I think that's the best thing I've ever written. <laughs> do do these companies ever reach out to you? No. Um, very rarely they'll even respond. Sometimes they'll respond with like the canned like. If you have an issue, call this number because they, you know, that's just what they do. But then I had one post that was me complaining at Applebee's that the <laughs> waiter was a floating skull and it wasn't a man or a woman. It was just a floating skull. And then Applebee's commented like, uh-huh, that's just Jeff. Eh. And it's like, fuck you guys. Like, <laughs> you're like the cool corporation, you know, <laughs> like you're in on the joke. And then, but the best thing was, I, it was another thing on Applebee's I posted that I was complaining that the waitress threw a dirty diaper at my wife. And like in the post, I kept saying how big my wife is and old. And then also passingly mentioned with no reason that she's allergic to peanuts. Like it was like, your waitress threw a dirty diaper at my big old wife who's allergic to peanuts. And all these people commented on it like this didn't happen this is so untrue this is there's no way this happened and they were like trying to give reasons as to why there's no way that this could happen 
And then like on my Facebook profile, like as a joke, I had like university, went to diaper university. And then like a few people like must have clicked on my profile because they were so upset that I was lying about this. And they were like, he's got diaper university listed on his, as his school. There's a weird diaper theme with this guy. I don't, dude, you guys, you spend your day going on Facebook and seeing someone who's clearly lying like this is the ramblings of a madman and you're coming to the defense of applebee's like <laughs> like you are so upset that a man could lie about applebee's and their customer service that that's, you you need to defend them that's brand loyalty yeah <laughs> they must really love Applebee's. I used to go must, there and get appetizers. But... Yeah, I was going to say those late night appetizers. Got yeah. Them. For 20 or whatever yeah. it is. Or is that Friday? I don't know. They're all the same. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that website has um, all those posts. And then uh, for a few years, for a number of years, actually, sad to say, until they put, removed them, I was saving Craigslist ads from like men seeking women. So I would either save the pictures or save the entire ad. Um, and that became like an obsession, like in a bad way. Like I would do it for hours a day for years, like just click on random cities. Like, let's see what men are looking for women in Tulsa. And then I would go through and like save them because they're funny and weird. Um, and then like through the years, I would see the same posts like again and again. Like one of my favorite ones is this older a black man from, I think it was in Jackson, Mississippi. Is Jackson in Mississippi? Is that Alabama? I don't know. Jackson. And this was like 2014. And he like posted all these pictures that like, it looks like his niece is taking them or something. And he's like posing with a hat. And he's like, I'm a good man looking for a good woman. And then like three years later, the post comes up again with different pictures. And it's like, wow, this man has not had any luck. Like, I can see this man's loneliness, and it's creepy and weird, but it's still lonely. And then I would Damn. see people, I would, like, do it in Milwaukee, too, and then I knew the obsession was getting bad because I would recognize people. Like, I remember driving by my parents' house, and I saw this guy jogging, and I would drove past him, and I like, oh, my God, that's the guy that's been looking for a, a old cougar to, to use him. That's the guy looking for the like the the older black woman. Like I would just I would see him and, <laughs> and I'm like I know that guy from the post. This is horrible. Like I shouldn't. <laughs> this is really weird. So I would save them and uh, and then the other thing on that site is these Yelp reviews from this guy James K. Who those are not made up. Those are real. And those are that, real. Those are everything under the James K section is completely 100% real that I have saved from this man's Yelp reviews page. And it is him going to restaurants and bars and just harassing women until he gets like cut off and kicked out. And every review is just like, go here if you like hot bartenders. And then like, there'll be like a one-star review for Hooters and it's like, yeah, Jamie wasn't as nice today. Man, not, never coming back. And then like the next day, there'll be another review of five stars for the same Hooters and be like, it was awesome. I can't, I got my dick so hard watching Crystal serve me wings. <laughs> and 
this man is not kidding. It's not like a fellow weirdo like me doing this. It's a real man who like I fit, I've deduced where he lives in Milwaukee. I found him on social media, on his Twitter. I know he was born. Like, I want to know this man because <laughs> it is a nightmare. It's a nightmare world for this guy. Is that an actual photo of him? Yeah, that's, that, that's his photo. Like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, on Yelp. And like the idea of Yelp is so stupid, too. Like, it's just people tattling. Like, this is everyone on here is a horrible monster. Like, you're going to give this place three stars because your ice was not good. It's like, dude, whatever. Just let people do their thing. My God. And, um, but yeah, on his Yelp page, it would be like, favorite book. And it's like, LOL, I don't read. And then, like, favorite website, strippers.com. I'm like, man, this guy out of this fucking gourd. <laughs> So I saved all of his reviews. It's taken me hours to like copy and paste and everything, but um, it needs to be documented somewhere. My, <laughs> my God. Yeah, that guy. Some of those things that he's writing are pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, no, they're really bad. They're really bad. And I love it when he's like, He'll just explicitly say, like, ah, I couldn't go back because I got kicked out for probably grabbing a woman or something. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> and, like, the Craigslist ones kind of fall into that same category. Like, a lot of them are just normal. It's just Craigslist, so it's weird, you know? But, like, there's nothing weird about them. It's just like, hey, I'm 40, looking for a woman to date. And then some of them are just like this incredible mixture of loneliness and like ho horrible men where like there was like an old man on there. I think he was like 70, late 70s. And the, the post was like, the title was, I will worship your clit like the Holy Sabbath. <laughs> like sure of an old man. And then like, if I remember correctly, he's like widowed. Like he puts that in the post, like widow looking for love, and then like goes on, like, oh yeah, I'll lick you all day, baby. And then like the end post, the end line is like, no smokers. And it's like, <laughs> this is not like I feel bad because you're widowed, like your wife of 43 years died of cancer and now you're like lonely, but you're also going about this in the worst way possible and creeping a bunch of people out. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so yeah, that's your website. <laughs> that's the website. I was printing a lot of the the I call them the pitiful posts to Facebook business pages. I was putting them on t-shirts and selling them because and people would buy them like friends and i think that's really funny like a t-shirt that is just all this a paragraph of text complaining like one was like complaining to amc movie theaters that they went to go see an amy schumer movie and then someone in the theater has somehow gotten their cell phone number and keeps <laughs> them messages that i remember that one and like that's on a t-shirt so just like imagine walking around and someone sees that and like I don't know the context of this. I don't know what this means. This is horrible. <laughs>
Yeah. And like another one, it was like a drawing of the scrubbing bubble and it just says like, wouldn't mind scrubbing away some of my 65-year-old wife's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah I would... I would encourage people to just take a look at those because they are pretty funny. Yeah, I, I, I find them funny. I think it's, you know, I besides all the horrible, depressing art, I like funny stuff too, which is, you know, <laughs> Kyle and I back in high school were doing a lot of that with, with Grant and, and everything. Oh, no. It's, oh, yeah. So, um... I don't know. I think I think that covers pretty much everything that I had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, Taylor, do you want to shout out any of your social media, your band camps, your website? Uh, yeah. Website is patheticandsad.com. Uh, my band camp is easy to remember. It's just taylor.bandcamp.com. And then um, on Instagram, I'm at Taylor. It's is pathetic and sad. Um, and you can see. That's like personal stuff, but I'll add anybody that wants it. A lot of my drawings, and I'll post little things on there too. But um, yeah, that's 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 where I can be found. Cool. All right. All right. Well, artist we know is Aiden. This is Kyle. This was me, Taylor. <laughs> well, Taylor we'll Campbell. See y'all next time. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.